This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Uh, I watched a debate, by the way, um, first of all, fantastic job by uh, Toronto this weekend. The TTW host, Maggie John, she uh, emceed, which is uh, (laughs) short for Master Mistress of Ceremonies. So you're not M of C, you're just MC. I don't know when that happened. It's sort of like the Norm Macdonald uh, I is for I and D is for dentification thing. But either way, Maggie John was amazing last night doing it uh, at the Daily Bread Food Bank. I saw one candidate, one candidate say what I think all the time is it'd be great not to have food banks. It'd be great not to. We're a really rich city in a rich country. I mean, we were a rich city, but we have rich people here. And uh, it'd be wonderful not to even have a food bank. And yet usage is through the roof. They somebody took a, a photo shot, like a like a video of a line outside one of the Toronto food banks. And it, it was stark to see how many people are lined up. Um, I passed by somebody in the suburb where I live. I passed by a street and I think there was some kind of a remote food truck that uh, sort of Salvation Army style. But I don't know if it was the Sally Ann. And they were feeding like 14 people, like a lunch around 2 o'clock. Might have been actually, sorry, it was a dinner around 4.30 or 5 o'clock. So people are hurting, and it matters a lot. And uh, debates like last night at the Daily Bread Food Bank are, you know, prominent in terms of getting people's ideas out. Let's give you some flavor, if you will, a little spice, sizzle, uh, of what we saw last night. Here's Josh Matlow who was one of the first people to announce that he was running for mayor. I think everybody thought that he would. I think there were some people that certainly hoped he was the most prominent name people hoped would run against John Tory last fall. And you may not think that he would have won, but John Tory would not have would not have coasted to the win he had had Josh Matlow run. But he's running now, and he made the point about one of Anna Bailao's um, platforms is, hey, we're going to go and how are we going to help the city? We're going to go and ask the province for money to run the DVP and, and the Gardner. And Matt Lowe says that's not exactly um, sound financial policy. To, uh, to base an entire housing plan on a pipe dream that Doug Ford is about to upload the Gardner and the DVP is not actually a realistic plan. We need to live in the real world right now. This is too important. I mean, it's too important. And that's why I'm not going to be moving forward with uh, building an elevated section of an expressway like they did in the 1950s. We're going to be building on the ground. We're going to actually save money that we can invest in building housing. And yes, it's going to be RGI. It's going to be 80%. And the market, this is how they do it in Vienna. They've done it over 100 years. The market rents will have rent control. We're actually going to be able to move forward with a substantive plan that is proven, that can work, and that will actually have seed money to fund it. I tell you what, I love a good international name drop. I'm going to give props to that. Vienna, as in Vienna, Austria, not Vienna, Ontario. Are you kidding? That's like a little hamlet somewhere, probably uh, with with uh, covered wagons. No, Vienna, Austria. We do this all the time with healthcare, where we reference things going on in Germany and the Netherlands and Denmark. And we're not so lazy that we're like, well, we don't want to become the states regarding healthcare. No, I know. We've had that conversation 38,000 times. Meantime, for her own level, Anna Bailao wrapped up the uh, speech with documenting why she's the person that deserves your vote on June 26th. I will be ready to work with council. I will be ready to fix services and build housing. I will be ready to stand up, to collaborate with other orders of government to deliver for our city. 
I want to make sure that that feeling that I got when I was 15 and arrived at this country, that feeling of opportunity that we had a city that worked, that we bring it back. And I will bring it back. My name is Anna Bailao, and I'm running to be the next mayor of Toronto. It made me think when I heard that clip last night, can we bring it back? Or are we adjusting to the quote-unquote new normal? The pandemic, the rise of remote work, um, I'm not, uh, uh, pandemic we can do nothing about. Remote work probably was was kind of knocking at the door and the pandemic pushed it right through the door. It's devastated the finances of most major cities. I don't think any major city will ever be the same major city again. And if it will, it won't be in our lifetime. It's devastated every major mass transit system across North America. Pff, Toronto's no different. New York, Chicago, uh, San Francisco and the BART. It's affected all those transit areas. COVID relief funds kind of papered over the crisis. Like, like it's just, it's not a permanent wall. We're just going to put some paper over this. You see those cars go by you on the highway and they have a lot of duct tape because somebody blew out the window or something. But that money's gone now. It's run out or it's gone. So, um, and, and by the way, until cities adjust, mass transit, huge risk, vicious cycle, low ridership leads to worse service, leads to less safety, leads to lower ridership. Let me say it again. Low ridership leads to worse service, less safety, lower ridership. I'm not wary of a candidate. I'm just sort of, there's a, there's a moderate eye roll, as in we can get the city back to where it was. I'd rather a candidate tell me Toronto will never be the same again, but here's how it can still be great. I'd rather hear that, but I'm asking a lot, um, I think, in, in terms of what I'm asking for from the candidates 41 days away. Shiva Siddiqui, our uh, amazing producer, joins us right now. You had tons of thoughts, like um, rapid-fire thoughts about the mayoral debate last night. You and I uh, did our did our homework, and we watched uh, large chunks of it. Uh, yes, I mean, this is... This is my reality TV when this comes up, right? Forget the Kardashians. This is what I want to watch. Um, so I just noticed the theme that how they started. Olivia Chow and Anna Bailo spoke about immigration and, you know, Anna Bailo coming to this country and Olivia Chow's parents being immigrants. Uh, and they're all former counselors, like the top six. They're former counselors except for Mark Saunders. Am I not... Am I right? That's right. right. right? They all, they all are. Every single one of them. Three so, current counselors. Yes, three of them current. Uh, um, former MPP and Mitzi Hunter. And then... Uh, and then, and then Obviously, Bailao and then Saunders. Yeah. And food insecurity was a big focus, obviously, because of where they were for the for this uh, debate. And I liked Matt Lowe's terminology when he talks about, he spoke about culturally appropriate food. That is so important because there are so many places and so many people from different cultures who just can't eat certain types of food. It literally just won't, mm. like, my my dad is one of them. Like, he lives in a retirement community. Um, and, and, you know, he's been here in Canada since the 1960s as well. But it's like, that's an issue for him. He's like, he's like, I can't just take, like, it's, everything is just seasoned with only salt and pepper. And for him, he needs, like, spice. And he used to carry, like, a little green chili pepper when he was an accountant for years in his, like, pocket at at conferences. And he'd just pull it out and take a bite when no one was looking during the meal. I'm sure someone saw him a, a few different times. <laughs> Maybe, but I'm saying culture, I really, the focus of cultural appropriate food, the, obviously housing, food, poverty. Um, Brad Bradford called Josh Matlow and NIMBY. That's he not, did do that, didn't yes, he? Yes, he did. He did. Um, and I like the idea of Mitzi Hunter discussing transit f that would be free for seniors. I, I like that suggestion. Whether we can afford it, I don't know. But she also wants to integrate the TTC and the GO. Uh, that, I think, needs to be done. I took, the, I took the GO train on Friday downtown to Little Italy. I mean, I took the, um, you know, I went to Union okay. on the GO train. and um, Just by herself. No, I had. To, I was with some girlfriends. Okay, okay, we, okay. We went out, so we're like, you know what? It's going to be chaos with the Jays game, with the Leafs game. Let's not drive. Let's take the GO train. Yeah. Good call on our part, but it 
I, I did. We ended up sitting beside someone who made me a little nervous. I'll be honest. Well, I had to go somewhere. So <laughs> I'm allowed to ride the go train. I'm allowed to ride the Lakeshore West. I'm okay, not just going to stay to the Lakeshore East all the time. Fair why enough. Did, okay, let me fair ask enough. you. In all seriosity, why do you make you nervous? Um, I felt like there might have been a, a slight mental health issue. Yeah. Um, because he just kept sort of uh, just his body language towards us, right? And he kept reaching his arms out towards us, and he what? kept sticking his head <laughs> in between thing. us. Yeah, like that. I'm like, okay, what is this guy doing? Uh, uh, right? It made me a little uncomfortable. And you know, then it's obviously mm. what I do for a living. I know exactly what happened on the TTC and on public transit. So I was sort of more aware than my friends were. Uh, but the protester was like, that took the cake. Uh, what, about an hour and 20 minutes through? I'd say about 75% through the debate. Yeah, 8.41 p.m. to be specific. <laughs> we've got a, yeah, we've got a time count on it. Mitzi Hunter was speaking. And all of a sudden, you could see, here's how I spotted it, is that the um, someone was giving sign language, right, for those um, uh, suffering from hearing issues so yes. that people could understand the debate. And somebody passed in front of the camera, in a guy in sort of a gold jacket or a sweater. And I'm like, that's odd. Where's he going? Well, he, he was going around her onto the back of the stage. Here's what transpired audio-wise. Excuse me. Now you will Sir? not fix an election if don't put your hands on me. That is assault. You will not threaten to shoot and watch this. Look at this. Get, get your hands Why off. Why is he so I close? This is all. Okay, and then just names start getting um, yelled out randomly of people who are on the stage, <laughs> except for Mark Saunders. Um, that protester's, uh, the gentleman's name is Kevin Clark. Yes. And he ran, uh, he's run for mayor before. He's run for all sorts of different elected MP, offices MPP, before. MPP, Toronto City Councilor. He finished 11th in the 2022 mayoral race. Huh. He had 4,333 votes. So Kevin Clark, uh, and he obviously had a lot to say. Uh, I, I mean, to me, this was a, one of the highlights. There were many, but this was one of the highlights because you just sort of stop what you're doing and you want to see what's happening. And everybody, all the candidates, they didn't. I feel like they didn't know what to do. I think they ignored him, which is kind of. I I look. I, I'm not in that scenario in in that in the in the moment and in that um, in the firing line right now at that point in time. So I can't say well they should have done this or should have done that. But I worry they do what we all do enough times when someone's on a train with us or someone is in the mall yes, yes. and we just sort of ignore somebody going to town um, and ranting well, and raving. Are you going to see Anna ba- do you want Anna Bilo to tackle him and like <laughs> pin him down? Like, There's not really much that they can do. I get that. All eyes are on them at this time. None of them left the stage, no. which I thought also would have been something that you might do. I mean, again, let's, uh, let's us and let's let the audience picture our son or daughter up there. What if that guy ran onto, what, it, he didn't, but what if he ran onto an elementary school? Oh, that would have been a different situation you, altogether. You would think so because here's what ended up happening to Sheba is you saw it and I saw it, but for our listeners that didn't, he they kind of were able to, two guys were able to walk him off 
Well, um, they tried to. He was really, I mean, for he well, looks like a small guy. I mean, he's got, security was big. He was putting up a good fight. Or And were they sort of hesitant to really, like, I'll put it this way, to quote the, uh, the Rock, put the smack down on him? Like, this wasn't. They were trying to be polite, yes. I think. Until he started, he started, they had this backdrop. It's like these curtain rods with these long black curtains. And then he, he started, he, to, he, he grabbed the curtain. The curtains down. Yes. And then that's when Josh Matlow stepped in. He stepped in. He stepped up for the city of Toronto. Save the curtains. He did. Because the, the curtains could have fallen on the five candidates. Well, he started rearranging it. Everybody else was at their podium, and he was at the back, like the fix, the fixer uh, upper, right, trying to clean up the clean up the mess. It looked like me trying to put up a camping tent uh, when we go like the cleaner. You know that movie, the cleaner. The cleaner. That's what Josh Matlow was the cleaner. <laughs> yeah, but but I, I think we'd agree, um, and maybe this this again is this symptomatic of Toronto. The guys that kind of grabbed him, either they just couldn't, four of them couldn't handle him. There were finally two police officers that, that walked him out. But um, were, were they a little soft? If Kamala Harris is on stage in the United States and that guy comes on stage, that guy's getting demolished, stat, by like Secret Service. Yes. Joe Biden, stat. I like I I just think we were like oh so you heard it Maggie John casual. say how why is he getting so close yes. and it's a great question by Maggie John yes she was, best she of the was night. yeah she was great last night and yeah you're right I was like why is he he was right beside Anna Bilo like they're they're shoulder to shoulder at one point and she didn't she didn't uh, break a sweat at all she was just sort of reviewing her notes at her podium I know I uh, I cannot figure out that whole scenario and i i don't want this um yeah i don't want kevin clark to become when's the kevin clark moment for this debate coming <laughs> i don't say at this point in time he's 59 years old like he has a wikipedia page he's listed this Amazing. is what's written about him he's considered one of the most recognizable homeless persons in the city of toronto campaigning on quote the people's rights um maybe there is there is um room for listening to kevin clark but that's not his moment and that's not his time. I mean, I'm stating the obvious, but it was rude for Kevin Clark to do that. It was inappropriate for Kevin Clark to do that. Now, I get where people will say, hey, you're telling somebody who doesn't have a home they're rude and inappropriate. And that sounds uh, like you're you're dismissive. I'm not. I, I think he's worth listening to. But you got to understand what your moment is and what your moment isn't. And that's not your moment. And, and, and if you scared somebody, I don't that's think on he you. cares about that. Probably at doesn't. All. No. He probably doesn't. So, um, yeah, very, very, very strange stuff. Let's play you the premier's clip, and then I think we could set it up and, and chit-chat about it afterwards. Because um, this came in about 10 o'clock uh, yesterday morning that Doug Ford was somewhere, and he was asked about this uh, survey. Ontario elementary teachers, uh, they, they asked 300 TDSB teachers, excuse me, they asked a bunch of teachers who uh, were surveyed, and they documented violent incidents between September and April. So at the TDSB, um, they asked teachers whether or not uh, they felt unsafe in the classroom, whether they'd witnessed violence is more the, the crux of the issue. And 77% said they had. So he was asked about that yesterday. Here's what he said. Isn't that a shame? When we all grew up, that's the last thing you'd think of is hitting a teacher or showing violence towards a teacher. I think, honestly, as well, uh, it starts at home. Man, if I, I, I'll speak for my parents. God forbid I ever went up and hit a teacher. I'd get twice the hit when I got home. And I think everyone out there would say the same thing. So, you know, something that starts at home, uh, you respect your teachers. They're there uh, to, to teach you. 
uh, give you guidance, make you a better person. Uh, so uh, enough of, of going after teachers. Teachers, uh, I couldn't do the teacher's job, to be very frank with you. Uh, they have a tough job, but for the kids, man, you guys got to get your act together and don't ever go after a teacher. Uh, so that was very colorful, but it didn't answer the question at all. The question was, what is your government doing to tackle violence in uh, elementary schools unless you're advocating some sort of, you know, notice out to parents or something? But Well, that's that's our goal, to always make sure we advocate for, for the teachers, protecting the teachers. If you, you want me to put legislation, if you're asking me about putting police in, in schools, well, I think that decision has been made. Okay, we'll talk about this on the way back. I, let, let me give you the clarity on this issue. I couldn't find it briefly. 76,000 members uh, were surveyed on workplace violence. 32% responded. 35% said that their classrooms had been evacuated because of a violent incident in the school year. And another 52 said students had attempted physical force against them. These are elementary teachers only. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. So what's going on with Mississauga and Brampton? There was a lot of, I think, innuendo speculation that somehow we were back to the 90s and and some form of Mike Harris-esque amalgamation. Were they going to make Mississauga and Brampton one city? Would, would we only need one place? Well, Doug Ford, the premier, talked about it yesterday. at an appearance with Bob Bonnie Crombie, uh, the mayor of Mississauga, and uh, there's been some back and forth. So let's go straight to one of the players in this particular game. He is the mayor of Brampton. He is Patrick Brown. Mayor Brown, it's always great to have you on Toronto today. Thanks for making the time. Yeah, Greg, anytime. Happy to be on your show. By the way, I have not uh, I have not uh, spoken to you since uh, uh, the Canada-USA gold medal. I know you didn't speak to anybody for about seven hours after that loss uh, for the Canadian women in Brampton uh, against the USA women. But congratulations to Brampton, your community, your your citizens on on just it was a fantastic event. And Brampton really, really showed the rest of the world it could host something like that. Congratulations on it. Well, it was a great event. Unfortunately, uh, the last uh 10 minutes of the third period uh, um, spoiled uh, the celebration, but uh, it, it was a great uh, world championship. It was a, it was a memorable, memorable uh, week and a half. That's for sure. All right. What, what is fair and what is not here? You, your phone must be ringing off the hook. What's going to happen to the city of, of Brampton? What's what's let's put the speculation aside. What, what are rumors and innuendo that just don't make sense to you that are, that are impractical about this whole process? So you know, right now, it appears like the province has decided that they're going to get rid of the region appeal and have um, two standalone cities, uh, Mississauga and and Brampton. And you know, I, I actually like the idea of less government. I, I find there's a lot of redundancy in the region appeal. There's no point of having a, a regional planning department and a local planning department. Um, but where my concern lies is. You know, when this was created in 1974 by former Premier Bill Davis, the goal was to pool the cost of key services by building the, this infrastructure together. And it just so happens to be that decades ago, we built this infrastructure in Mississauga. And so mm-hmm. our two water treatment plants, um, our police headquarters, you know, Brenton has paid for 40% of the cost of that infrastructure. And when Mayor Crombie says, well, Mississauga can just separate um, and not pay for the cost of replacing that infrastructure in Brampton, um, a lot of Bramptonians feel that would be that would be theft. You know, to rebuild that infrastructure at today's dollars compared to 1970s dollars, you're looking about two billion. So our cost of what we contributed would be close to a billion. 
So you know, we need to be compensated for that billion dollars that we've built, that we've spent building Mississauga infrastructure. If those water treatment plants are not owned by Mississauga; they're owned by the Region of Peel, which we mm-hmm. own forty percent of a share in. And so, you know, a municipality needs water treatment. You need servicing capacity. You need a police headquarters. And so, the one thing I have not heard in all of this, and I'm not against independence. I'm not against yeah. having a standalone city. I need someone to explain to me who's going to pay to build this new infrastructure in in Brampton, given the fact that right now we use that infrastructure in Mississauga. So you're clear Mississauga owes Brampton more than Brampton owes Mississauga. Oh, without a doubt. That infrastructure is in Mississauga. The only infrastructure that's in Brampton would become unnecessary. For example, the Peel Region Council Chambers would no longer be needed. That's in Brampton. We can sell that off. The archives are in Brampton. The Peel Region archives will no longer be necessary. But what is not a choice of whether you can have or not is um, your water treatment capacity, um, your servicing capacity, um, your, you know, your 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 first responders headquarters. You know, th- those are that's that's a necessity. And so um, our staff have done their best estimates. They feel that Brampton will be owed close to a billion dollars. Right now, the province is saying, don't worry, Mississauga will have to pay what's ever owed. Mississauga is saying, oh, we don't feel we owe anything. And so for me, that's bewildering to think that you can collect funds for 40 years that my hardworking residents have paid. Literally, their their Brampton property taxes, half of it goes to the Region Appeal. And the Region Appeal has built this infrastructure to service all of Peel Region in Mississauga. And the notion that Mayor Crombie thinks she can she can cut and run, um, is theft uh, for my residents. Mayor Bra- Patrick Brown uh, from the city of Brampton joining us. Um, population I see, the region appeal has Mississauga at 745,000, Brampton at 687,000. So the misunderstanding I think some people had last week was, wait a minute, do they want one mayor for all of Mississauga, Brampton, and Calden? Well, if you do the math, that, that ends up being a metropolis of over 1.9 million people. This appears to be the opposite, and it, it appears to be giving both your communities independence. Yeah, you know, there was some talk about a mega city. It looks like the province has gone the direction of two separate cities. And so when this was created in the 1970s, it was to pool resources um, to provide key services. So paramedics, policing, water treatment, servicing capacity. And so right now it's about how do you untangle all that? And, and the other concern is, you know, Mississauga is essentially built out. There's no vacant land in Mississauga. Where in Brampton and Caledon, there's still vacant mm-hmm. land. And so we have paid for the servicing in Mississauga. We have paid um, for those regional roads and those pipes. And so now the expectation was the same servicing would be paid for in Brampton and Caledon. And so it's the Mississauga is essentially leaving when it's their turn to cost share for the building of those roads and pipes, even though we did we paid for all the roads, a share of all the roads and pipes in Mississauga. And so there's some serious questions that need yeah. to be asked. Um, and it's my job to make sure that, um, you know, Brampton um, is not uh, um, shafted in this process. And, and and I will be very outspoken to make sure uh, that our residents are treated fairly. What's the professional relationship with, with you and Mayor Crombie? And, and does it need, like, do, you, you need to have extensive conversations about this process, don't you? Well, and she just seems, she seems to think that she doesn't know anything. And she hasn't done her homework. And so we have all the stats. We've shown her um, the, the Deloitte report, which did an extensive study. You know, we've, we've showed her the police budget, which shows 
um, that the costs are almost equal on a per capita basis. And so it sh- for, for some reason, she's sticking to the slogan of independence while ignoring the facts. And, and, and for me, um, I have to look at the facts. I have to look at the numbers. Um, and it, you simply can't ignore questions that you can't answer. Right now, she can't answer what we're going to do with the police headquarters. She can't answer what we're going to do with the water treatment plants um, that service Peel Region that are in Mississauga that are essentially um, at full capacity right now. Hey, I've only um, got I, I've only got thirty seconds. I want to ask you if she runs for the Ontario Liberal leadership, as has been rumored, does that complicate, delay, make this process much more difficult? And and because this isn't going to happen in six months, obviously. Yeah, I don't think she's running for the Liberal leadership. Um, I, I think her plea to the province was uh, um, that uh, if if they agreed to this, that she wouldn't run for the leadership. But, you know, we'll see. Patrick, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. My pleasure. There's Mayor Brampton, Patrick Brown. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. If you watch Stanley Cup playoffs, if you watch the regular season, you see betting ads and you see a lot of them. I'm telling you, I watch the U.S. networks. They're nowhere near as invasive is the best way I can put it. They aren't. And the NFL was made for gambling. Boxing was made for gambling. Um, UFC is as well. So um, it is. it seems to be a chronic complaint, but complaint almost seems negative. I think it's, a, it's an observation. Our next guest, uh, of course, has written a couple different books, including How We Did It, The Subban Plan for Success in Hockey School and Life. He came in studio with me at uh, at the old place I worked at, and it was lovely to meet him. And uh, he uh, he's Toronto through and through as as well. Carl Subban joins us right now on Toronto Today. Carl, it is great to have you on Toronto Today. Thanks for making the time for us. Good morning to you and good morning, Toronto, and thanks for having me. Absolutely. Listen, um, I'm no, um, how would I put it, no moralist. I know that there's going to be, you know, ads for uh, music sometimes and ads for R-rated movies over the course of, uh, of of a broadcast night, whether we're watching Monday Night Football or Hockey Night in Canada. But I think you hit on something that it's something when you're watching with younger kids. I never sat there with my dad and my dad wasn't my dad, my dad wasn't worried I was going to pull out my cell phone and uh, and put a little extra allowance money on the over. But I'm telling you, you're hitting on it from a parent's perspective. We are in a different universe right now. And these these gambling ads are are everywhere. They are nonstop during the broadcast of the games. Yeah, and our campaign, our group, uh, by the way, you're talking about Olivia Chow standing on a box. We are standing on a box. Our committee is standing on a, on a box to restrict advertising ads. And I, you know, when PK, Malcolm, and Jordan and my daughters were younger, we sat there as a family uh, to watch the hockey game. It was a great event. And now we need a disclaimer. <laughs> watch at your own risk because, you know, we're working to restrict that these gambling ads uh, because we know that they're so harmful uh, because of the content and also because of the, the people that they're using in some of these ads to promote gambling. Do you align it with smoking, drinking, uh, other bad habits? Do you think they're just as, as harmful to a younger person watching? Well, Greg, the American Psychiatric Association classifies addiction to gambling, a gambling disorder. And we already know the harmful impact that cannabis, tobacco, and alcohol has on a person's body. So the, the problem with gambling is, and there are many, but, you know, someone's drunk, you can see them staggering, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There, are other, there are other things that, uh, 
that 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 tells us uh, that that someone's uh, gambling and and uh, it's almost like a silent killer. Carl Subban's our guest on Toronto Today. Do you draw a line as well between? you know, other celebrities and either current or ex players. When we see Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews in the ads, Carl, you know, if you watch the NFL, like you won't, you can't see the NFL would never allow Aaron Rodgers or Dak Prescott or Joe Burrow to promote a gambling company in the middle of a game with a commercial. They would never allow that. The NHL has not stopped this so far. Yeah. They have to do something about it because we know that, the, the, the part of the brain that is responsible for decision-making isn't fully developed in young people until they reach 25. And so they're like a sitting duck when it comes to these ads. And we know that all these superstars, these celebrities, uh, they're leaders. Uh, we know what leaders do, they influence. And, and, you know, 48% of Canadians, based on a poll that was done in January, on our side. And I'll tell you, I'm going to say 100% of the people that I speak to about it uh, feel that they like the box we're standing on. And I think that box is getting bigger. It's Carl Subban joining us on Toronto today. What are the what are the next steps? Like they're asking, like I, I know some people might say, well, one gambling ad is too many. But you know, and I know, there's enough people that they're going to shrug their shoulders at one or two when it just feels like it's 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 not even just part of the furniture. It's the whole house, Carl. That's how people are viewing the broad. It's a pro. I notice it. I, I it it absolutely has affected my enjoyment of watching games this year. There isn't a question about that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the same thing here. And we just want to restrict the ads. I think the volume of ads, I think uh, way too many. Uh, and we don't like also using these, superstar, these celebrities and superstar athletes because, you know, they, they do have a great power mm. over what young people do. Because, you know, a kid growing up wants to be like the superstar hockey player. And they haven't learned yet, some of them, that, oh, you can love them. Love the way they play, but you don't have to love everything that they do or say. And we're a little bit older, a little bit more mature, and so we should be able to do that, but young people are not, are not able to do it. And we know that they're seeing it online, Greg. They're seeing it on the television. They're seeing it on magazine. They're seeing it everywhere, even on the buses and, billboard and, and billboards. It's everywhere. It's just way, way too much. Did you had you raised four kids rather successfully? Did you ever worry about any of them um, betting? Well, you know what? It wasn't such a big deal when I was growing up. Like we, watching hockey, which was a family affair in our home, we never had to worry about it. I know my boys played in the OHL, and George Burnett kept a really good eye on them. Um, <laughs> I know they played. I know they played cards, but they never took it too far. You know, once they walked off the bus or wherever they were doing their card playing, they were not faced with more, with seeing more of it. It's hitting them in the face everywhere they go. And I think that everyone has a problem with it. And, you know, Greg, I've spent my life working with young people to support them so that they can achieve their potential. And, and you know, they have peer pressure to deal with. They're coming out of the pandemic, the, the, the pains of growing up. They have all these things to deal with. Now it's gambling, and I'm just really concerned about the potential harm and impact it's going to have on our society. Well, I, I don't know if our listeners know this, but I know you do, um, is that it's really easy online now to bet on OHL games. And I, I rode those buses for seven years with Saginaw, and with I'd come up, I did a lot of – every game that PK played yeah. against Saginaw, I did those games. 
um, on that big ice out in Belleville. My heavens, the, the Olympic-sized <laughs> ice. Uh, but anyway, uh, that made him the skater he was. But but I bring this up to point out that that's really, for a 15-year-old on one of those rosters to know that they can do that, it's tough to get inside. It, it Like, you want to take as many temptations away. We know teenagers are going to, they're going to walk the line and they're going to, they're going to jump right over it sometimes. But yeah. taking that, that temptation's a massive one for me, Carl, is the idea yeah. that you could bet on a game that you're playing in when you're fifth. You know whether your team is ready to win or lose most of those days. Yeah. Yeah. You're right about that. I mean, you know, the, the kids at that level, they have so many things to, to deal with and, and, and that they're faced with. And they have to learn to work through them. Now we're adding another layer. But, you know, if the viewers want to help, they can go to our website, if you don't mind me, yeah, Greg, yeah, www.banadsforgambling.ca to get involved, to get more information, to support our group, to donate. Because guess what, Greg? This hasn't changed in my 64 years, Greg. It's, it, it still needs the village to help yeah. to raise our children. And it's going to take everyone getting on board on this campaign. I know you've got a great kids book coming out uh, later in the summer called The Hockey Skates. I want you to come in studio with me. I want you to co-host for an hour, do whatever. <laughs> Let's talk because, uh, honestly, I, we loved having you in at the at the other place when you had your other book out. But uh, we're, we're connecting with the audience, I can tell from the text messages. So please do come Whoa. in and, and talk about The Hockey Skates in a couple months, yeah? I, I would love to do that. I'd love to come in and read some of it. And guess what? I'm going to speak about reading. I'm going to speak about a potential. Remember this, Greg, my boys and girls, my daughters, mm-hmm. my sons and daughters picked up a book to read before they picked up their hockey stick and skate to skate. Amen. Let's read more. Uh, Carl, thanks so much for the time today. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Carl Subban joining us on Toronto Today. Uh, father of PK, Jordan Malcolm. And yes, Nastasia raised four kids. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. I don't know if you saw this story. But it was from BC, and I was kind of fascinated by it. And I thought if this was Ontario, um, it would certainly be news. So let's let's sort of pretend it is for a minute. Here's the headline from the Globe and Mail. BC government to send cancer patients to the U.S. for treatment. Now, you know how this story has been framed before by opponents of any sort of -of out-of-the-box thinking, rational thinking, practical thinking, sensible thinking, and I'm going to say this, proactive thinking. When it comes to healthcare, that's almost considered, oh my goodness, I hope that's not true. BC government to send cancer patients to the U.S. for treatment. If you're the cancer patient or you're the cancer patient's family, you're saying, thank you, God. I'm so relieved. Why? Wait times here. Backlog here. No treatment here. You've heard the phrase, delay is denial. If you delay healthcare, you're denying healthcare. And so on May 29th, Eligible patients from British Columbia, Canadian citizens, will go to Bellingham, Washington to get radiation therapy at one of two different places. That's from the health minister, Adrian Dix. Now, he's under a lot of this is the NDP health minister as well. He's under a lot of pressure. And the concept is what what happened? I thought I thought our system was wonderful. Here's what the initiative will focus on. People with breast cancer, people with prostate cancer. They're the biggest group getting radiation therapy and they've waited the longest. So that's going to be up to up to 50 patients a week sent south for care or about forty eight hundred over the next two years. What's the backlog about? Well, Dix didn't want to say it, so I'll say it for him. Uh, The same backlog that has made Ontario pivot somewhat 
and say we actually need to take care of people before they expire. We've moved some surgeries to private clinics. And guess what? Over the last couple months, uh, we haven't turned into some, uh, you know, how would I put it? Hellscape in terms of healthcare. I, I know that that members of the New Democrats here in Ontario suggested that would be the case, and it has not. By the way, you remember all the upcharging and, and upsizing and all the concerns about Bill 60 because some of the hip, knee, and eye surgeries were going were, were gonna to go and, and, and to, into private clinics? People take, rece- people take receipts from restaurants, and they screenshot them, and they say, look, Look what I was charged. Or if you don't leave a tip, right? A server could actually shame you and post that online. I I must be missing all these upcharges that people are incredibly upset by. I mean, I I heard they were going to happen everywhere en masse. The Ontario Nurses Association said that they would happen. Um, I I, I haven't seen anything. I'm, I'm sure there's an Ontario NDP MPP that must have had it happen to them or someone they know or someone they know who knows someone who knows someone they know it 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 hasn't really transpired the way they said it would about healthcare that's really strange that that ends up being the case the good thing is that also there's an acknowledgement from Adrian Dix in British Columbia the health minister he's NDP again um that there's a growing and aging population well, I can recognize that because I can read numbers on a screen and recognize trend lines and graphs. So regional cancer centers are also in the process of fixing aging equipment that's used for radiation therapy. There's also um, shortages of what do we call them? Oh, yeah. Humans, humans that want to work in healthcare and be doctors and nurses and radiologists. This is a problem. We've told you extensively on this show, and I'm sure on other shows across the radio station, for sure. I know Alex has done a ton on it uh, after after we're on, that the wait times are just out of control, and they have implications on people's health. And people will just at some point decide to do what they do and cross the border for the best care imaginably. I'm going to read you this from uh, U.S. News and World Report. This is back in 2016, but ask yourself what would happen if you were someone named Sharon Shamblaugh. I'll read you two paragraphs. It won't take long. When Sharon Shamblaugh was diagnosed last summer with a form of blood cancer that could only be treated with a particular stem cell transplant, the search for a donor began. A Toronto hospital 100 miles east of her home in St. Mary's, Ontario, and one of three facilities in the province that could provide the life-saving treatment had an eight-month waiting list for transplants. Four months after her diagnosis, Shamblaugh had had enough, and she headed to Buffalo, New York for treatment. But it was too late. She died at the age of 46, leaving behind a husband and three children. That's our healthcare system. It's much maligned because there's much to malign about it. I think this is the point we're at right now. BC government sending cancer patients to the U.S. for treatment. But of course, the system isn't broken. We just need to pour more money down the manhole and fix it. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. By the way, it's important to point out, well, we're exporting our patients to the U.S. system. All this fear mongery that came around suggesting we'd have U.S. style health care. Well, clearly we don't. We don't. If we did, we wouldn't be sending our own patients to the United States. We're bringing in higher immigration numbers as well. This system, the system we now have, is ready to be overloaded. And who pays for that? You and me and the province. I'm not saying to halt immigration, but immigration's two biggest issues are housing, which we talk about all the time, and healthcare, which we probably don't talk about enough. This is the way, to quote the Mandalorian, this is where we're going. 
There's an intrinsic dishonesty here in our political discourse about this. Baby boomers who raised us didn't really cost the government all that much when it came to health care. They made good money, so they paid a lot of taxes. And every government to a party seemed to ignore the fact those years wouldn't last forever. And soon we'd have more immigration, less homegrown Canadians, less people paying into the system. And in the last 10 years, way fewer people having kids. Those people not having kids are not raising the kids that are going to raise us, those of us in our 40s and 50s. And that's why we're where we are right now. 